Welcome to the Hillside Podcast. We trust that you'll be impacted by listening to today's message. I, I know you all want a prophetic word, so here goes. God loves you with an everlasting love. Amen. Brad, thank you so much. You can sit down. If you're a guest and you've maybe never seen anyone prophesy like that before, um, we believe that God is alive and well. And so he speaks to us, and so that's why God uses people like me or anyone in this congregation who's a Christian just to represent his heart to people. I wonder if you could turn to um, Acts chapter 10. I'm hopefully going to be able to do this very quickly because I do want to do some ministry at the end. Um, So if you have a roast in the oven, God bless you. (laughs) Acts chapter 10 and verse 44 While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. We're picking up on a story in Acts of the Apostle where a man called Cornelius, who was a Roman um, soldier, uh, was uh, having a moment of prayer with God and, and devotion to God. He was having this encounter with God. And in that moment, an angel appeared to him and begin to show him some things. At the same time, Peter um, was in um, another part of Jerusalem, having some time praying and interceding. And in that moment, he also has this incredible encounter where what looks like a white sheet falls out of heaven. And he has this encounter where God tells him, to eat that which is traditionally unclean for him and his culture according to the law. I'm so grateful for this open vision encounter because it means I get to enjoy bacon today. Um, I'm very grateful that uh, God said to Peter, you get to eat whatever you want because what I call clean is clean. And uh, this encounter leads to an incredible moment in the life of the church where we see the first Gentile get saved. And a few months ago, I was having some time with God, and um, if you know anything about me, I love sleep. Sleep is one of my favorite things. I believe it's biblical. I believe it's a gift. And at the end of this meeting, we're going to pray for people who are struggling to sleep because God wants to give you the gift of sleep and rest. The Bible says that God gives his beloved good sleep. So when people tell me that they get woken up at early hours of the morning by an angelic being, I often question their theology. Um, But I do know that God loves to wake people up and inconvenience us. I don't know if you've noticed that God is the most inconvenient person around. If you haven't noticed that, we need to pray for you. Um, And I was was sleeping one night, and about 3 o'clock in the morning, I woke up. And God began to speak to me, and I'll just cut a long story short. In that moment, I felt like I could see, as it were, in my mind's eye, these huge bowls that were in heaven. And they were straining to be held back 
because of the prayer and worship that was filling these bowls. And it was almost like there was this straining from it falling out and breaking out. Um, and, and in my mind's eye, I began to see, as it were, what was being filled up in these bowls being poured out. And we know the analogy from the book of Revelation that there are bowls in heaven that contain the prayers of the saints. Um, and, and I believe God began to speak to me in that moment, this is just a few months ago, that the church is entering into a season of the tipping point. I believe God is wanting to bring us into a space and into a place where uh, what is being held in heaven is being poured out on the earth. And the thing about a tipping point is that very often there's a convergence of moments of time. There's a convergence of seasons. There's a convergence of situations that bring it to a particular place that then causes this tipping point. And the thing about that moment is there is nothing you can do to stop the tipping point. And I believe that God is bringing us into a season of the tipping point. Now, I just want to say this very clearly. I believe that what we understand about revival, what we understand about the outpouring of God, has often been based on visitations. And I love those visitations. I love it when God breaks in in a way that is unusual. But I believe God is shifting our thinking to becoming a people of habitation. How many of you know that? That Actually, God's dynamic for us is not a one-moment encounter. However, in our habitation, in our encounter, it seems to me that throughout history, and I believe in this season, that there is something about God wanting to get our attention about a season or a window or a time in which we get to see an acceleration of events, in which we get to see an acceleration of purpose, in which we get to see an acceleration of favor that happens in a time moment, in a season, in a way that is more dramatic and in a way that is more pronounced than any other season. Does that make sense? I believe we're in that season, that God is wanting to pour stuff out on us, and I'm going to talk a little bit about it in a moment, that is so outrageous, that is so amazing, that is so overwhelming, that is so good, that it's going to mark us out from any other time or any other season. I don't know if you've noticed that there is a difference between uh, understanding dates on the calendar that change from 2019, 2018 to 2019 to understanding an era change. When you see something being changed in terms of an era or a, a, a dynamic, it literally means that a season of time is marked by a particular thing. So the industrial era is marked by the acceleration of industry, by machinery that was built to make things happen faster, the digital era that we are in is marked by social media. It's marked by things that are happening around us. And I believe that we're about to enter into a season that is going to be marked as an era change. That this tipping point means that the way the church is understood, the way that we understand our interface between community, the way that we understand our interface as, as the expression of God's kingdom on the earth is going to be marked in a way that we've not yet seen in the life and history of the church. Please say amen. amen. We're in that season. It's a tipping point season. One of the things that I believe that is going to mark us in this next season is that it will not be a come and see 
dynamic. It will be a go and show dynamic. That actually God's calling us to be a people who begin to establish his kingdom in a dramatic way that will demonstrate his kingdom, not in us coming together, but in us being a sent people. And one of the hallmarks I believe that God is going to release in this next season, and I find this fascinating because (laughs) I'll talk about this in a moment, but I find that one of the things that the church has not been known for, and I can't think of a revival like this throughout history, is love. Shika bazooka, right? Like, I don't know of any time period other than when Jesus came. And since then, I don't know anything that's been marked, the church, marked the body of believers, marked those who are called out from the world as the people of love. And I believe this next season, this next moment, that God is bringing us into, this next era that God is bringing us into, this season of tipping point is going to be about a demonstration of love that is going to mark us out as the people of God because you will know them by the way that they love. That's how we know that we're the people of God. I mean, I'm really, I'm like, Lord Jesus, we need a revival of love. And the thing about this tipping point where God begins to pour something out in such a dramatic way that we can't do anything to stop it is that our responsibility is not to try and manage the tipping point. Our responsibility is not to try and manage what God's pouring out. Our responsibility is to get in the way of his blessing. To stand right underneath and say, pour it out upon me. I'm going to take as much as I can get. And this moment in the book of Acts, this moment in Acts chapter 10 is a significant moment for the church. It's a significant moment because up until that point, you see these people who've been called out. You see this church that's being established. You see Upper Roman County. You see this incredible outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon one cultural group, upon one cultural dynamic. And then God says to Peter, I want you to go on over to the Gentiles because I want to do something new. I want you to do something that looks different. I want you to do something that's not what you've seen done before. And I wonder if we're ready for that. I wonder if we're happy with the kind of change that makes us uncomfortable, the kind of change that shifts our culture, the kind of change that goes against our particular norms and understanding of the way church should be done, of the way we express the kingdom. It's going to get to the good stuff now, I promise. But there's something beautiful about the way God moves. There's something beautiful about what God is doing in this context that is absolutely stunning. When you do a study of the book of Acts, at every juncture of apostolic advance, and when I use the word apostolic, I'm talking about a people who understand culture in order to shift it and release the kingdom of God into that place as the same people of God. When you see this happen, it's quite an incredible moment. You'll see that there is an increased heightened sense of supernatural activity. I want to suggest to you 
that God is pouring out his spirit upon us and we're starting to see more miracles, more healings. We're starting to see more direct breakouts of God's presence and power wherever we're going because he's wanting, alert, wanting to alert us to the fact that there's a shift that's about to come. That, that every juncture, every moment of prophetic advance is always baptized in the unusual outpouring of supernatural activity. These guys see angels, they have trances, they have all these incredible, incredible encounters because for the church, pragmatism is never meant to lead us. Revelation is meant to lead us. In other words, the life flow of who we are doesn't come because we obey the rules. The life flow of who we are comes out of revelation of who he is to us, in us, and through us. You so often we think that I must do stuff for the poor because that's what Christians do. So often we think I must tithe because that's what Christians do. When actually the reality of our pragmatism, the reality of our principles, the reality of our choices that we make do not follow what we're supposed to do. It follows out of a revelation of a supernatural encounter with the good God. Because you see, when you live from that place of revelation, your pragmatism actually produces fruit. Strategy should follow revelation, not the other way around. And I believe God wants to bring us into a place where we begin to encounter him in such dramatic ways that our life, our days, our family culture, our home culture, our work culture, what we do is established not out of the place of what I am responsible for, but who I'm getting revelation from. Peter gets a revelation that challenges his culture. He gets a revelation that challenges his responsibility. He get, I mean, this was a key apostolic leader in the early church. And he's about to go on over to a Gentile home and eat some bacon in a Jewish culture. It was so thoroughly offensive. It was so outrageously out of the norm. And Peter follows Revelation because it didn't make any sense to his mind. <laughs> but he follows what God is doing. And here's some things that I believe God wants to be able to bring us into in terms of convergence, in terms of putting things together, in terms of this tipping point. The first thing that I love about what God does in this moment is God's working on two different people in different ways, and the platform of how he's working with them is prayer and devotion to God. I love that God is converging these two different people. I want to say to you, God is doing some outrageous things in the earth today. And what you pray matters. What you pray matters. Because of a Gentile Roman soldier, because of the way he prayed to God, it shifted 
an attitude, it shifted a mindset of someone who was totally removed from his culture, someone who was totally removed from his context. What you pray matters. And there's something beautiful about this man called Cornelius, who because of his faithfulness in prayer, because of his faithfulness in worship, the Bible actually says that he was a devout man. The word devout is not about his ability to keep the rules there, it's the posture of worship before him. I wonder if we've made worship about style and preference of musicality when God wants to make worship about a posture of the heart. Oh, I'll move on quickly. <laughs> Cornelius is this man who is finding himself devoted in postures of worship before God, and God interrupts his devotion with revelation from heaven. Peter is this man who's fasting and praying. Clearly, I don't do that often. And as he's fasting and praying, he has an encounter with God. When last have you been interrupted in your prayer time? When last have you been invaded with the encounter of heaven? I wonder sometimes if we misunderstand the word prayer. So often we think prayer is about us praying to him, and I love the prophetic words that have already come through today. The word for prayer in the Bible, particularly in Luke chapter 11, where the disciples say, teach us how to pray, is the word exchange. It's not about me saying something to God. It's about the exchange that happens when I encounter and relate to the goodness of who he is. God interrupts everything to bring two people who are removed from each other's context together. And here's the tipping point for me. Cornelius oversaw 80 people in his work context. That was his job. About 80 people. The impact of his posture of worship has forever changed the world because his posture of worship became a doorway for every single non-Jew to come in to the kingdom of God. That, we talk about influence, that's some kind of influence right there. That his faithfulness in worship, his faithfulness in prayer, his faithfulness to a God he didn't even really know opens up the door so that you and I can encounter that God today. I, I wonder if you understand the power of who you have on the inside of you and how your prayer and devotion matters to him. Your story, no matter how small or insignificant you think it is, is partnering with the tipping point of heaven to shift things over a whole nation. Man alive, it gets me every time I think about this. The second thing I love about what God does in this context is that God defines Jewish culture with heaven's culture. <laughs> you see, a Jew was not meant to go into a Gentile's house. A Jew was not meant to eat anything from a Gentile because he would become unclean. Now, I love what Bill Johnson says in the New Covenant. It's not association that makes you unclean. You make what you associate with clean. 
In other words, when you rock up, heaven gets released where you are. And the thing I love about Tipping Point Seasons is that it's either going to cause celebration or offense, but it will not cause indifference. I'm going to say that again. Seasons of outpouring, seasons of favor, seasons of God's glory coming into a context will do one of two things. It will, you will either celebrate it or you'll become offended with it. But what the moving of God's spirit cannot do is produce indifference. It cannot produce, a, oh, well, we'll see what happens. It's okay. You see, the offensive nature of the outpouring of the Spirit in this context, the offensive nature that God would pour out His Spirit upon these Gentiles was so outrageous because it went right against the predisposition of their culture and the comfort of their tradition. You see, I wonder if, you know, this church here was birthed out of what was called the New Church Movement where we decided to leave traditional church, move into school buildings, and do the stuff that we now do. There were many battles that were fought for the kind of worship that you had this morning. There were many battles fought for your ability to receive from the Holy Spirit with freedom. I I tell you what, it's, it's incredible. But I wonder if 40, 50 years on, we've got enough tradition and culture that makes us hesitant to embrace what God is doing in this season sometimes. You see, it's easy to celebrate past moves of God. It's not always easy to embrace and engage with current moves of God. You see, the Pharisees used to say to Jesus, we love our father Abraham. And we can't wait for the day of resurrection. But you, we don't like you. That's what the Pharisaical spirit does. It causes you to celebrate what God is doing and hope for one day in the sweet by and by that you know, God will do something. But right now, the very thing that he's doing in your midst becomes the most offensive thing to you. Just for the record, if you're thinking about how someone else should be hearing this sermon, you probably have a religious spirit. Because if this stuff doesn't pierce your own heart first, you've missed the point. But Jesus shifts culture. I just want to say, and forgive me, I'm just going to be cheeky. Jesus is not a white middle class man that listens to soft rock music. Church does not have to look like this. Our worship does not have to look like a Bethel CD. Although I must say this morning, it certainly didn't look like a Bethel CD. I love some of the song choices that you guys are bringing through. Here's the point. What God's about to do in this season is going to be outrageous. I, I believe that one of the primary things that God is about to do is unlock the grace of evangelism to the church. I believe there is going to be an influx of people who are about to come in. I believe we're on a tipping point of harvest. But before you say amen, 
Here's the thing. The distinctive that God gave to Israel as the covenant people of God became the mark of exclusivity. You see, the people of God were called to be circumcised in order to show that they were in covenant with God. That mark became an exclusivity mark as to whether you were part of Israel or not. And what was meant to be a prophetic picture in terms of God's covenant-keeping nature with the people of Israel, the distinctive of who God is with the people of Israel suddenly became a question of whether you were part of or not a part of. One of the greatest difficulties around evangelism is not the concept of getting people saved, but it is the type of people who will get saved. Oh, you see, the church for so long has practiced, if you believe what I believe and behave like I behave, then you can belong where I belong. (laughs) Help me, Jesus. But the reality is the kingdom is the other way around. You belong before you need to believe, before you need to behave. I'm going to say that again. This next season is going to be marked by a revival of love, by an outpouring of people who understand that the distinctive of the presence of God on us is not for our benefit, but it is for the benefit of those who have not yet encountered him. That the outpouring of the Spirit at Pentecost was never meant to stay at Pentecost. It was meant to be an overflow so those who've not yet heard, who've not yet understood, who've never been able to get in, now get to get in without having to obey the rules that we might have needed to obey. They don't have to do what we had to do in order to get in. That my personal history with God does not determine what he's about to do in this next season. Oh, help me, Jesus. I'm preaching a little bit prophetically. I'm sorry. But I wonder if we understand the urgency of the hour that we are in. That God is causing a tipping point of outrageous blessing and favor. And the people that are going to not only gather to this physical place, but in homes all across Durban are not going to look like you. And so the big question is, will they belong without needing to behave? You see, the kingdom culture does not look like Christian television. The kingdom culture does not look like any culture that we see. Thank God... If you're American, forgive me. It doesn't look like American Christianity. It doesn't look like reserved, pious, English Christianity. Somebody agreed with that. But the outpouring of the Spirit breaks cultural barriers in such a dramatic way that what you would never consider in your mind doing before In that context, you'll go, I'm stepping out, I'm going to do it. 
it's fascinating. When we begin to understand that God wants to shift us from what we're used to, I always love it when prophets prophesy about the new thing that God does. And then when the new thing comes, they start saying how bad that new thing is. If it's new, it means it's not going to look like what you've seen before. We're in a season of a tipping point. We're in a season where God's about to open up an effective door, the kind of door, I believe, that shifted everything for Gentile nations. And it's going to require us to not think like we thought. It's going to require us to walk past our tradition. And we're not going to live according to what old structure looks like, but we're going to live according to living structure. The last thing I want to say about this is that in the context of a tipping point season, in the context of God moving by his power, we must understand this very important thing, that slow obedience is no obedience. I'm teaching my little boy, Ezekiel, that slow obedience is no obedience. He has this little phrase, he's the cutest little thing, my boy. Oh my gosh, he's cute. You just, just want to kiss him, he's so cute. But in that moment of um, disciplining his heart, of course, and not his bum, there's this little phrase that he says, Papa, I'm just doing something. I, I'm just doing something. And I'm saying to him, but son, slow obedience is no obedience. Peter got up immediately, the Bible says. <laughs> I, I wonder how many moments we've missed in God because we're just doing something. <laughs> you see, I believe in this season that God is requiring obedience, not reason. God's not asking you to enter into a deliberation and a negotiation with him. He's asking you to be a people of obedience. And you know, I, I, how many of you know that I'm like one of those hyper-grace preachers? People don't like them a lot. I, I think that grace cannot be anything but hyper. It can only be extravagant. If it's not extravagant, it's not grace. I don't believe in licentiousness. I believe grace empowers us to say no to sin. You all get that? But here's the thing. Grace is meant to provoke obedience, not passivity. Oh, help me. There is a hard work that causes you to rest. Some of us need to work for rest. That actually when I obey God, that's the sweetest place of rest that I'm in. And here's the thing, God wants to bless the rest of your life. He wants to bless your rest. You see, grace doesn't cause me to become passive. Paul says, I worked harder than any of you. Yet not me, but the grace of God that was at work in me. That if grace pacifies you, grace causes you to go, well, whatever happens, happens. It's all in his sovereign plan. You've not really understood grace because here's the beauty of grace. God, by his grace, invites you to partner with his sovereignty. He says, come on in. 
You see all this power I've got? It's now yours. Let's go do something with it. Peter responded with obedience very quickly, and the result is everything changed. I want to end with this. In that moment, this is outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I believe that God wants us to build our structures. God wants us to build our, our um, churches around what he is doing in the outpouring of his Spirit. But here's the thing about the outpouring of the Spirit. It is inconvenient. Kathy and I, when we first started dating, we did long-distance relationship. And she was uh, in London. I was in a town about two hours north of where she was. And so she'd have to travel every night when she'd come in to come and see me. And I lived by myself at the time, had an amazing um, house. It was wonderful, but it was a proper bachelor's pad, right? And um, I remember when she'd come, I'd clean up my house. It would look stunningly beautiful. It was super clean. My mama would have been proud of how clean it was. And uh, I'd make sure that the food was ready. You know, I'd make some amazing food. I'm a, I'm a budding chef. I love good food. Make sure there's a really good glass of wine. Some Ella Fitzgerald playing in the background to set the mood. Candlelight. I mean, just amazing. Guys, I hope you're taking some notes down. And uh, I'd make, you know, a wonderful meal. I'd been cooking all day. Just one of those kind of amazing stews. Katya would ring the doorbell. I'd open the door and say, good evening, honey. I'd give her a little kiss. It wasn't too lingering because we weren't married at the time. And I'd invite her in. We'd have a meal together. And it would be outstanding. I mean, she was like, this is amazing. The creme brulee just worked out perfectly. <laughs> and at the end, she would go home. And then, to be fair, I probably gave her a lingering kiss at that point. And she would go home, and um, I would go back to living an incredibly amazing bachelor pad life. I would probably forget about some of the dishes for about two days. Ella Fitzgerald would go on. I'd probably put on something a bit more, you know, hardcore to listen to, a little bit more kind of energetic. It wasn't as romantic. And, you know, I'd binge watch a series at that point, and it was amazing. I mean, it was just like wonderful convenience of long-distance relationships. And then we got married, and Katya moved in. The thing about Katya moving in was that my favorite leather couch moved out. And some of the very masculine artwork that I had, which to be fair was really bad, she was like, Daddy's going off. We're painting this wall that color. We're doing this. We're doing that. This is what's going to happen. My music taste suddenly changed. <laughs> Marriage was inconvenient. Tabernacling with my wife was inconvenient. <laughs> to be fair, she's a much better designer than me, and so the house actually looks a lot better because of that. But here's the thing. I wonder if the church is happy to date the Holy Spirit rather than him move in. I wonder if our longing for revival is more connected to long-distance relationship than a tabernacling mindset. Because when he moves in, he moves the furniture around. When he moves in, he gets rid of your favorite leather couch. 
This season of outpouring is going to be marked by love. The thing I love about this is that one of the reasons why God chose to move on behalf of Cornelius was because of his generosity with the poor, the broken, the unloved. It's one of the greatest keys to revival in this man's house, that he had a heart of worship to God, and the Bible says that he generously gave alms to the poor. I want to say for us in South Africa, the key to revival is not another gathering of 1.2 million people. It has got to be the generosity of releasing the love of God to the unloved. The difficulty about a tipping point season, the difficulty about an outpouring of God is that it will be inconvenient for you. Will you allow him to come on in and inconvenience you? Will it be okay for him to inconvenience our meetings, our gatherings, our lives? Will you allow Holy Spirit to move the furniture of your heart around to place you in the best possible position to be in the way of his blessing. Because he's going to require you to get a little bit uncomfortable. I wish I had time around some of the stats of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I'll just say this. Out of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Toronto, one man called Nicky Gumbel had an encounter with God. 1.2 million UK citizens have heard the gospel because of that one encounter. 23 million people around the world have heard the gospel because of that encounter. The Archbishop of Canterbury got saved on an Alpha course because of an encounter that Nicky Gumbel had. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit shifts everything. What are you going to do about getting in the way of his blessing. Thanks for listening. We'd love to hear your story if you've been encouraged by this episode. You can connect with us on Facebook or leave a review on our podcast.